thinking about today and I'm like wanting to kind of get through the whole prayer. I can't, I actually can't rush through it. So today, um, we will be dealing with the second half of the prayer. So a couple things I want us to uh, remember as we have been doing every week, um, kind of going through some very important points that I want you to carry with you as you're dealing with prayer. Uh, but let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness and goodness. Lord, I pray that you are high and lifted up, that your word is clearly taught, um, that the full counsel of your word is proclaimed, the goodness of our God and Savior, and that truth, Lord, um, would continue to prevail, uh, that Holy Spirit, you would guide us in all truth, help us to see clearly what your word teaches us concerning prayer and how Jesus prayed his last prayer um, for his people. Uh, Lord, I want to praise you and thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And thank you that your word is living and active. Uh, and Lord, that it digs deep into the life of and into the hearts of your people. I pray that uh, if anyone does not know you, that they would walk away today with a deep conviction in their heart um, that they would come before you as you draw them and as you plant the gift of faith in their lives, that you would bring about the salvation of your people. Lord, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The doctrine of prayer. The doctrine of prayer is a means of grace offered according to the will of God, expressed in accordance with his word. Prayer is the language of the soul and opening of our hearts before God. John Calvin. Prayer does a couple things here. I want you to put these, make sure you're writing these down. Prayer reveals our heart. Prayer reveals our heart. Um, I can know and others can know where your heart is based on how you pray. If you're praying for, if you're praying for others with the hopes that you're imparting wisdom to them in your prayer, as if you can give them direction on how they should live through your prayer, you're not praying. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with God's will. Matthew 26, 36, Jesus says, not my, not my will, Father, be done, but your will. Prasukamai is the word here, the word to pray. Prasukamai is two words. Pras meaning to come before or near. Ukamai meaning to pray or to will. And the question is, are we praying as we come near to God for his will and that our will would be in line with his will. That's what prayer is. Prayer is more than just a conversation. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. Praying is not an isolated spiritual experience as if we pray and we live in two different components. The truth of the matter is we live, um, is we live as we pray and we pray as we live. We live as we pray and we pray as we live. Prayer is so much more than just a conversation with God. It's an act of worship, the purest act of worship. So in John chapter, John chapter 17, there are three particular 
um, focuses that Jesus has in his prayer. Many would call this the high priestly prayer. Others would actually say this is the Lord's prayer. Interesting enough, when you read the Lord's prayer, it's not a prayer that Jesus would actually pray for himself. You're like, what are you talking about? Jesus did pray the Lord. No, Jesus told you how to pray. Jesus doesn't need to pray for forgiveness. Father, forgive me and help me to forgive others as they have sinned against me. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't need to ask for forgiveness for sin. He is perfect. He is the all-powerful one. This is a, so the Lord's Prayer is a model specifically given to his people so that you know how to align your will with his. Now, that being said, John 17, 1 through 5, Jesus prays for his glory and the glory of the Father. These first five verses are about the doxadzo, to make renown or render illustrious to cause the dignity or worth of someone or, th or thing to become manifest or acknowledged. Jesus is saying, as he prays these five things concerning his glory, in, in the same way that I have made you renowned and rendered you illustrious and caused dignity and worth to be brought to you, Father, do the same for me. In John 17, 6 through 19, Jesus prayed for the disciples who were given the task to continue the ministry of reconciliation. That they would continue to make renown. That he prays that they will doxadzo him. Which in turn glorifies the Father. That they will make him renown. That they will continue in the word and deed. As you would see in verse 8. Verse 8 says, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, that they have believed that you sent me. In verse 14 through 19, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We'll talk about that in a minute. I will shock you. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So you can see why Jesus is praying for the glory of his disciples. It is for the proclamation of the gospel. Everything that Jesus does is for the gospel's sake. Lastly, in verses 20, 20 through 26 of John 17, Jesus prays for the believers to come after the disciples, which we are among them. Yes, before Jesus is going to the cross, before his arrest, that very evening, he prays for each and every one of his family members. That includes you today. 
Even Jesus has not forgotten you, as he has said in his word. The same promises given to those who walk with him are also ours. The same doxadzo that Christ prays for himself, the Father, the disciples, and all those after for all of you. And remember, even for those who are still to come. So that being said, let's dive in to verse 9. Principle number one, the Father determines those who are his and who are not. The Father determines those who are his and who are not. You do not determine to whom you belong, nor do you determine your destiny. God alone determines this truth. Jesus prays for his own because they were always his. Let's read verse 9. I am praying for them, the disciples. I am not praying for the world, those who are not disciples, but for those whom you have given me. They, for they are yours. Shocking. Shocking statement. Kind of wrecks everyone's, wrecked my theology. I know that when I, when I started my little journey and walk with Jesus. I mean, really, I don't have any determination of that. No. Well, why not? Because I'm God and you are not. Help me figure that out. It's called grace. It's called a love of God which God, and a peace of God which transcends all understanding. It's a grace. All mine, Jesus says, are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I talked a little bit about this last week, sort of like this little introduction to this truth. Many churches today gather around going, oh, we're all one. It's all about oneness. The problem is they want oneness according to their own will and desires. God wants oneness according to his will and truth. We're going to see that in how he continues his prayer for the disciples to be in truth. Truth is the determining factor of what oneness is. As a church, we have a responsibility to walk in love and truth. To walk in, to worship God in spirit and in truth. There's not an option here. Especially in our world today. It's not my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. God doesn't care about your truth. You're like, that's a very harsh statement to say. But it's true. You think God is moved in his throne going, oh, Joe has a new truth. I wish I knew that. He's not. But in his love, as a father does with his children, he guides them in truth. And as fathers, I think we get that. That being said, Jesus prays for the preservation of those who are his. Jesus prays for the preservation of those who are his. Jesus doesn't leave us shepherdless 
but prays for shepherding and that the father will take care of and be watchful over the sheep. In John 17, 12 through 15, it says, while I was with them, I kept, guarded them in your name. I want you to get that. We are protected, guarded according to his name. Which you have given me. I have guarded or watched over them. And not one of them has been lost. Except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. What? Yes. Judas was born for such a time as that. Well, that's unfair. Why would God allow a man to become the betrayer of himself, of, of the Lord? Sorry. Why would God bring about the reality that he would allow a man to be born with the sole purpose to betray the son of the living God? So that scripture is fulfilled. That shows it's not, it's not our will, it's God's will. It's a hard truth, huh? Now look, verse 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated This word hated means to pursue with hatred or detest. The world hates believers in Jesus because they are in complete contrary to which the world shows you themselves. Totally different. Totally opposite. Like a thorn in the flesh. That's what Christians are to the world. So they hate us. The world hates us. Look what it says. World, it says um, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. That That word there means we do not belong to them. We do not belong to them. Erkomai. Taken from one place to another. We are no longer part of this old family or part of the new family. No longer of the old way, part of a new way. No longer the old life, but the new life. Erkomai. Interesting. Just as I am not of the world. If Jesus is not of this world, then we are not of this world. Then don't hold on to it. Let it go. The story of Joseph is a perfect example of that in the Old Testament. When he names his kids, he gives them Jewish names in the middle of an Egyptian life. The reason why he says that is because he basically says, I let that stuff go, as Vodi Bakum states. I do not... This word do not, I want you to hear this, do not is an absolute negative. 
So I want you to hear, this is a very hard thing to hear. I do not ask that you take them or to remove them or carry them off out of the world. Has nothing to do with the rapture, y'all. At least not yet. What Jesus is saying is, let them persevere in a world who hates them. Do not take them out. But look what Jesus says. He says to the Father, but that you keep. But that you keep them from. In, in, in all the translations, it says evil one. I'm going to give you the, the word. This is one of those moments when you do word studies and you go, I need to teach this word. I do a lot of that. But you're going to understand why in a minute, based on the context of this prayer. He says that you keep them. This word keep means to tend carefully or to guard them from. Paneiros. Paneiros. So many translations would say evil one. I've done a deep study on this word. It is not evil one. Which makes a lot of sense when you understand what paneros means. He's not praying that God would keep us from Satan's work against you personally. What he's praying for is that God would keep us from hardships, harassment, trouble, perils of the faith as a distraction from the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. If I have given them your word and the truth, and I'm not of the world and they're not of the world, Father, keep them, tend to them, guard them from hardship, harassment, trouble, and perils of the faith that it may not take away from the impact of the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. It's of so much more value because if all we're worried about is running from Satan and being kept from Satan, you've lost the battle already. You've got to stay in the battle. That's the point. So when you read this and you see the prayer and you see how Christ is calling, uh, calling the Father, asking the Father, calling upon the Father, asking the Father to keep us from the hardships and harassments, that we may be effective for the sake of the gospel. But if we have to lose our life and be persecuted for the gospel, as long as the gospel is proclaimed, that's the most important thing. Why? Why have we missed this important truth? Because we've been fed that your battle has always been with Satan. He's an adversary. He's a liar. He is all those things. But guess what? I wake up every single day and I am fighting against my flesh and my sinful desires. Why do I do the things I do not want to do? But the things I want to do, I cannot do. But the things I hate, those I keep on doing. Every day I'm at war within myself. Every day I have to deal with people who hate Christ and are persecuted for faith. Every day I'm dealing with the hardships and the harassment and the troubles and the perils of the faith. But 
all we could ever believe is that Jesus prayed that the evil one. Because we don't want to deal with him. And we wonder why we walk around in a defeated Christian life. Because we're so focused on the individual and not focused on the struggle. And how I can exemplify Christ in the midst of my harassment. And troubles and hardships and all those things. There's moments when I read translation, I'm saying, Lord, how could they miss that? Tradition. Full counsel of the word of God. The complete truth of the word of God. Knowing this, aren't you willing to go out and go into the struggle? Aren't you willing to be like a fireman who runs into the fire? Why does Jesus pray this? And why this so important truth? Why paneros? Because the world hates us. We are not of this world. And the world will throw everything it has at us. It wants to eliminate us from the earth and keep us from proclaiming the truth, i.e., especially the gospel. Jesus prays this so that his people will continue in truth. We are living in the days of the great apostasy. You know that little scripture that talks about in the last days, many will turn away from the faith? Welcome to the days. You're living it. I am so glad Jesus prayed for the disciples concerning this truth because the same promise Jesus prayed for his disciples is mine. Father, keep me from the hardship and the harassment and the troubles and the perils of faith if it distracts and takes away from the impact of the gospel. Lastly, in this little bit of the prayer concerning his disciples, Jesus prays that his people will be set apart in truth. Interesting. When you see the context of everything that Jesus is praying from the very beginning of his proclamation concerning his, his disciples, that we belong to him and we were always his, that he would preserve us and keep us, he also prays, that his people will be set apart in the truth. Because the only thing that will get you through is the truth. Unlike several preachers I have talked about in the past. Who say truth doesn't matter. And if you want to be, you want to get fat on theology, go to another church. Thank God I don't watch that guy. Truth absolutely matters this prayer is all about the word doctrine absolutely matters theology absolutely matters why because jesus prayed that his people would be set apart in the truth in the doctrine of his word in the theology and that we would take the truth to a dying world because the word is Truth. 
The world does not determine truth. God determined truth, and his name is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. There's no sacraments you can do. There's no begging you can do. There is no other way but to go through the Son. He says, I am the door. John 17, 16 through 19. He reiterates this. Notice, he links this idea of not being part of the world to sanctification. I want you to see this. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. This is now three times Jesus says this issue. You as believers are not of this world. This is not your home. You are journeying. You are passing through. Be a shining example of a kingdom kid because when you get to the kingdom, you're going to be very happy you're not here. Look what it says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If they're not of the world, if they are different, the way that you show that you're different is that you are in the truth because his word is truth. And if there is a church that you might attend or that you're involved in that's not teaching you the truth, run, Forrest, run. Notice what it says here. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I sanctify myself. I set myself apart as a sacrifice for them. Why? That they also, mo they also may be sanctified in the truth. This is what he's saying. You can't go into the world and preach the gospel without the truth. This is so prevalent in today's society because if you ask the quote-unquote average American Christian what the gospel is, the vast majority do not know. The one truth that matters, the one commission the one mission that he's given us as his people, people don't know the gospel. I have asked questions when, I've, when I was a youth pastor. Woo-woo. What is it, Keith? You guys know. Youth pastors always went to church with a t-shirt and wrinkled jeans. That's why I got sneakers on. You can tell youth pastor from a senior pastor. Hopefully, I stay like somewhere like me, right? But I'm telling you, those were fun days sometimes. But one of the things I want us to remember is that when you're looking at the reality of the gospel and you ask the average Christian what the gospel is, you know what the answers are? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The good news. Well, what's the gospel? Well, if it's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's not the good news and it's not the word of God, I don't know. But I'm a believer. 
what? How could you not know? So I'm going to give you the gospel like I did in the beginning. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pretty simple. Listen. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I've preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered as of first importance. What's that mean? The most important thing. There is nothing more important. Now when you read Jesus' prayer, you get why he prays this for his disciples, that they would be glorified in the same way that Christ is glorified and the Father is glorified. That they will proclaim and make renown the gospel, the reality of Christ. Look what it says. Which, what I also received, that, here's the gospel, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve, and then appeared to 500 other brothers. What's the gospel? Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day. Gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day. That is the gospel. It's a simple story. We're sinners. He wasn't. He died. He was buried. He rose on the third day to give us life, to take away our sin, and to give us victory over death, sin, and the grave. Pretty simple. Important. So when he's praying, he already has this in mind. And the reason why he has it in mind is because he's reminding his, he's reminding his disciples as he's praying to the Father for them. They're sitting there watching him pray this to the Father. They're listening and watching. And he says, keep them in the truth because your word is truth. And what's the first thing we do as, as churches? Stop preaching the gospel. And you wonder why, as a country, we are in the situation we're in. Be ready, in season, out of season. To proclaim the hope that you have in Christ. Christ prayed for his disciples that they would glorify, that they would be glorified as the Son is glorified and the Father is glorified. And next week, we will, well, after Christmas. I really want to do it next week. After Christmas Eve, we will finish this prayer in verses 20 through 26 when Jesus prays for you. Father, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness and goodness. You are amazing. That in your wisdom and goodness, because we are not of the world as you are not of the world, you have prayed 
that the Father would keep us from evil. Keep us from paneros. That we would walk in the victory of Christ, willing to give our lives, to run into a burning home, to bring the gospel, to bring hope to the dying. Help us, Lord, to continue to stand fast on your word, to walk in the truth. We give you praise, honor, and